The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Here she is. And welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I absolutely promise you're in the right place. As a matter of fact, if you have any questions about your health, this is a show you want to listen to. No, we're not talking about hygiene and how often to brush your teeth and when to go to the doctor and how to wear your boots in the rain. We're talking about something a lot bigger. So let me get started. The buzz on the street. Put your memory caps on. Think about the Beatles. Think about help. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down, and I do appreciate you being round. Sorry I butchered the melody, but that's what we're going to talk about. U.S. citizens are generally living longer and healthier lives, but not everyone everywhere. Now, those of you who are listening around the world, don't hang up. Don't put down whatever you're listening on, whatever device you're using, because this is about health around the world, but we're focusing on the U.S. for this specific conversation. So, according to the Washington Post's analysis of the CDC mortality data, this is important, Caucasian women's death rates rose by as much as 40%, OH, in the past 24 years, especially around areas of small cities and rural areas. My goodness. Now, we know that our personal behaviors have so much to do with our health good habits, bad habits, how much sleep we get, what we eat, what we smoke or don't smoke, how many, whatever we do, how many miles we run, how many hours a week we exercise, how we live in general, how we deal with stress. And circumstances of our lives also affect our health. These are givens. But now, Governments have new digital capabilities. That's why I'm saying it's really a global topic that empower them to help us help ourselves. Do they? Will we listen? What can your government, local, federal, city, state, village, whatever, wherever you are, what can the government do to help you, me, and everyone we know change our minds about our bad health habits. We have a panel of experts who are going to deep dive and help us get a healthy perspective. Well, I'm going to overuse that word I know on this topic. So first up, I'm very pleased to welcome David Matisoff, and he told me I can call him Dave. His last name is spelled M-A-T-U-S-O-F-F. He's the executive director of the Management and Performance Hub, abbreviated MPH, not miles per hour, Management and Performance Hub at the state of Indiana. Dave has sent me one of his favorite quotes from a gentleman named Daniel Keyes Moran, M-O-R-A-N. I've never heard of Mr. Moran, so I looked him up. He's so famous and popular. He's known by his initials DKM. He's an American computer programmer and science fiction writer. Uh, he had a website from 1999 to 2004 called The Queen of Angels. Okay. He had a website from 2002 to 2006, which was a fan site for the Los Angeles Lakers called Lakers Talk. 
talk. Uh, Moran had ambitious plans for a 33-volume series called The Tales of the Continuing Time, novels of which were published back in the 1980s and 1990s, and a lot more. Uh, Very, very interesting man. And here's the quote that Dave has selected for the show today. You can have data without information. But you can't have information without data. Dave Matisoff, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Dave? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Interesting. Tell me a little bit about this character, this uh, Daniel Keyes Moran. How do you know about him? Is he one of your favorites? Do you follow him? And why is this quote so important to our topic about governments going digital and information that's going to help us all be healthier? Go ahead, Dave. Sure. So uh, Moran's an interesting guy. I'm actually not a huge fan of science fiction, uh, but I, I like uh, just sort of who he is as someone who uh, is a computer programmer and also uh, thinking a lot about uh, science and, uh, and writing science fiction. So uh, the thing that's most interesting to me about the quote is there's lots of information out there uh, around government and around health, but uh, you know, being able to use data uh, for health outcomes and improving health outcomes uh, mm-hmm. in government uh, is a real paradigm shift uh, from where we were uh, just, you know, just 10 years ago. So uh, the opportunity for evidence-based uh, policy uh, is going to be incredibly impactful when we look at things like uh, health outcomes uh, in the state of Indiana. So that's uh, why I thought that quote was so interesting. And Dave, I have a question for you. Do you agree you can have data without information? Is that talking about the quality of the data? Does that mean that we haven't analyzed it to pull those nuggets of information out of it? How do we interpret that part of the statement? I'm just wondering. Yeah, I think it has to do with the analysis. So there's lots of data out there. I mean, you know, you think about the Internet of Things. There are so many things that are generating and creating data today. Uh, but information is the, when you coalesce uh, analysis around the data uh, for some sort of improved outcome. That's the distinction, uh, in my opinion. And I think that's what the quote articulates uh, really well. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Nice to meet you, and I'm glad you're on board. And now let me introduce our second panelist. He is John Roach, just the way it sounds, R-O-A-C-H. He's the Advanced Analytics and Predictive Sciences Practice Director at KSM Consultant. And a shout-out to our friends at KSM who've already been tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. Appreciate that very much. And John has sent me a quote from also somebody I was not familiar with. It's Aaron Koblin, K-O-B-L-I-N born in 1982. He's an American digital media artist and entrepreneur best known for innovative use of data visualization and his pioneering work in crowdsourcing and interactive film. He's the co-founder and CTO of virtual reality company Verse, V-R-S-E, along with a gentleman named Chris Milk. And his works are part of the, this is interesting, Aaron Koblen's works are part of the permanent collections of the Victorian Albert Museum the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA we call it here in New York, and the Centre Georges Pompidou, and he's presented at TED and the World Economic Forum. I think we should all study a lot more about Aaron Koblen. Here is the quote John has selected. There's something that happens with the collection of a large amount of data when it's dumped into an Excel spreadsheet or put into a pie chart. You run the risk of completely missing what it's about. John Roach, welcome, and I'm fascinated that you've given us a quote from a digital media artist, and he's talking about spreadsheets and pie charts. John Roach, welcome. How are you? I'm great. How are you? 
I'm fine. Thank you. Tell me, are you a big fan follower of Aaron Koblen? And how does this quote relate to our topic today? You know, I, I actually saw the TED Talk you mentioned uh, that he gave a few mm-hmm. years ago. And um, what really struck me was actually a topic you just hit on um, with Dave about uh, data and information. So the tools Aaron uses um, to sort of extract that value and insight from data are primarily visual. So if you watch that TED Talk, he's got um, really this great visualization um, depicting uh, plane densities flying across the world and uh, trying to get better understanding of um, sort of what happens and where congestion occurs and things like that. Um, so what strikes me about that is uh, the tool set he uses is primarily visual. Uh, the tool set we use is primarily mathematical, um, but we end up sort of coming to the same conclusions from different directions and, uh, you know, really sort of different tool sets but extracting uh, really hidden value in data that's, that's not accessible by, you know, the tools he mentions, uh, you know, Excel sometimes, uh, simple charts sometimes. Interesting. Uh I'm I'm just really intrigued by this intersection of talking about data and talking about digital media artistry. It just is amazing. Next time I go to MoMA, I'm going to go look for his exhibition. Have you seen his work, John? Uh, virtually, yes. Not uh, not in person. I'm going to have to. I'll let you know. Okay, I'll let you know when I make my next field trip into the big city. Yes, on Long Island, we call it going to the city. Thank you very much, John. Pleasure to meet you. And now let's welcome Regina Kunkel at SAP, responsible for state and local higher education, part of the U.S. public sector area at SAP. And Regina has selected a, a quote, one, two, three, four, seven little words that pack a punch from one of my favorite Poets, poets, memorists. Uh, she was also a civil rights activist. I'm talking about Maya Angelou, who published, I can't believe this, Maya Angelou published seven autobiographies. She must have been every 10 years saying, well, what's happened in the last decade? I'm going to write a new one. I've never heard of anybody publishing, and, and I'm sure they're all fabulous. She wrote three books of essays, several books of poetry, and she was credited with plays, movies, and TV shows spanning over 50 years. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this, Regina. Maya Angelou became a poet and a writer after a series of occupations in her young adult years. She was a fry cook. She was a prostitute. She was a nightclub dancer and performer. She was a cast member of the opera Porgy and Bess. She was a coordinator for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and she was a journalist in Egypt and Ghana during the decolonization of Africa. That was, I think, a Renaissance woman. So the Maya Angelou quote, these seven little words Regina Kunkel has selected are, when you know better, you do better. Regina, welcome. How are you today? I am wonderful. How about yourself? I'm great. I love the quote. You know, I told you uh, when we met on our prep call that I selected a Maya Angelou quote as my mother of the bride quote of my daughter's wedding two years ago in North Carolina, and there was not a dry eye in the crowd. By the time I related the quote to a line from Diana Ross and the Supremes, you can't hurry love. You can put the pieces together yourself. So it brings back good memories. Regina, are you a big fan of Maya Angelou? And how does this quote relate to our topic? It doesn't have the word data in the quote. It doesn't have the word information. It doesn't talk about spreadsheets and pie charts and, and uh, databases. So talk to me. Sure. So, so to me, this, this quote has so many different layers and dimensions, and you can go in so many different directions with it. First and foremost, the individual, right? What I love about Maya Angelou is she tried to change the world one person at a time, and, and she felt it was her, her duty and her job, and she, she did it from a place of caring, 
which I think is really what, you know, we, we all are, all of us on this phone, we're, we're doing that, right, with governments and education. It's so important that we do it because we care and we want to improve people's lives. And so that's what I love and I really embrace about her is that, you know, if we all talk about what everybody else should be doing when really at the end of the day, why not, why not us, why not me? And she also embraces diversity. But, you know, really when you talk about when you know better, you do better. So with information, is, is information comes insight. Information, you know, sometimes can say it comes power. And to me, my life and my career, I believe information technology is a game changer for people's lives. It can be from the career side. It can be from the data side. It can be from, again, many different dimensions. And I think, you know, when we look at um, the information that's available out there, um, if, and some of the things that we're doing and some of the things we'll talk more about on the show is that when you have information that is, is given to you in a meaningful way, you can do better, right? With, when you know better, mm-hmm. you can do better. If, if, if you find out a data point where now you can take scarce resources and pinpoint and surgically apply you know, resources to that exact issue, you can have you know, tremendous results. And so that's kind of you know, where I come with this, this quote from so many different dimensions. Thank you very much. Very thoughtfully explained. I appreciate that, Regina. And uh, R.I.P. Maya Angelou. I, th- I think we we miss her. I would have loved to have heard and read and seen her eighth autobiography. Wouldn't you, Regina? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that that was a good one. Okay, so let's circle back to Dave Matisoff, who I know has been putting a lot of great thought into. He knows what my next question is. It's What's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now? Or what would you rather be drinking? And that's part of our, because all of our shows relate to Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Dave, where are you calling from? What time of the day or evening is it? And tell me something interesting about what you like to drink, please. Sure. Uh, So it's noon. Uh, I am in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I'm in my hotel room looking at the uh, Inner Harbor and drinking a cup of dark roasted uh, black coffee, which is the only way I like it. You poison it if you put cream in it. Uh, (laughs) And I also like to drink uh, local India Pale Ale beer. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily rather be drinking that right now, uh, but Certainly around 5 this evening, uh, I will be trying a local craft uh, IPA beer here that I've never tried before. Very interesting. Okay. Do you have a, how do you know where to go for a good local craft beer, Dave? You, you have friends in the area. They're going to say, hey, come with me, or you can look something up on the Internet and go to that pub or that brewery. How do you find the right one? Uh, so, you know, with the proliferation of craft beer uh, in the last few years in the U.S., you can go to any hotel, uh, any city, and just ask for a local IPA, and they'll have one on tap. So I actually avoid the research, uh, and, and, you know, I want to do that empirically. Uh, so I'll just try it, and it's sort of a crapshoot, and it usually ends up okay. He's a purist who poisons his coffee. I like that. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I just like to pick up on the interesting stuff. I appreciate that very much. Good luck with the beer. We want to hear next time you come on the show what you found. John Roach, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? I'm actually calling from the airport in Indianapolis. And uh, I'm a a bit of a coffee nut as well, although I I disagree with Dave somewhat. Um, I think if it's not espresso, you're ruining it. So I think I'm on my uh, fifth or sixth espresso machine at home. And uh, I always drink um, just the, there's a local roaster in Indianapolis called Hubbard and Cravens, 
who makes the absolute best espresso roast. So I have that every single morning. Um, but like Dave, I'll likely transition this evening. Uh, however, I'm more of a, a bourbon guy than a beer guy. Um, so fun fact on that front, I'll, uh, I'll keep, uh, keep the fact in Indiana. Um, with the big resurgence you've seen in bourbon, as, you know, as well as beer, um, given the rules around aging times, et cetera, et cetera, um, just about every bourbon that wasn't around 10 years ago is from an old Seagram's plant, plant in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Mm. I like that. And by the way, I just looked up Hubbard and Cravens. Anybody looking for it? It's H-U-B-B-A-R-D and Cravens, C-R-A-V-E-N-S, coffee and tea. Hubbard and Cravens, spell it out, dot com. And you can read all about it. The best coffee and tea are only as good as the equipment that brews it. I was just wondering, John, without getting too personal, if you want to tell us, uh, you, you said you've gone through how many espresso machines now? Uh, I think I'm on number five or so. Wow, um, that could be a of, you know, 15 years though. So it's not well, that, that could be an ex- ex- expensive hobby. Do you have a best one you'd like to recommend to everybody? Um, pay a lot of money and buy something either made in the U.S. or Italy. Okay, thank you very I'll much. You that dodged far. that one very, very mm-hmm. artfully. Thank you very much, Regina Kunkel. Where are you calling from? And what are you drinking? So I am in beautiful downtown Washington, D.C. Our offices Hmm. are 1300 Pennsylvania Avenue, so just two blocks from the White House. I have a beautiful view looking up uh, uh, 13th Street right now out of our offices. I'm sitting in an office. Um, I have, unfortunately, right now a bottle of water, but I am also a big coffee aficionado. I am a Keurig uh, gal. I, I, every morning I, I make two cups. The first is, is full strength, extra strong, and the second is decaf. And I have one of those um, Nespresso foamers, so I love mm-hmm. to uh, use some of the creamers that are out there on the market, and I put it in the, the, the foamer. I would just press a little button, and 30 seconds later, it foams it all up, makes it nice and warm, and I add it to my coffee, and mm-mm-mm, I am a happy girl. I can tell you're a happy girl. I love the thought of that. Yes, those foamers are great. I'm learning to drink my espresso. I have a, what do I have? I have an espresso. My daughter gave me a red espresso to match my red kitchen and my red hair. I don't have a red mm-hmm. car anymore, but red kitchen and red hair. And uh, I'm learning to put a little bit of milk. I have the vintage mugs. It's a glass. It's like a white on glass, and it's a picture of the globe etched on the glass, and it's from the old Nescafe, Nestle giveaway campaigns in the 1980s or 70s. I find these mugs on eBay. They're absolutely gorgeous. They're heavy and they're small with a big handle. Clear glass, but as I say, with the globe etched, and I pour a little bit of 1% milk. I microwave it for 20 seconds just to warm it up. Then I use one of the Nespresso espresso pods and brew the coffee right into that warm milk, and then I might top it off in the microwave for about 10 seconds just to warm it, and that makes me very, very happy. So, Regina, you and I know what we like to do with our coffee. Does that sound good? Absolutely, yum. Yum, okay. <laughs> you're, the first per- you're the first person, of course, nobody else is listening. I've shared that with, but but with the three of you don't know because you don't know me is they do not let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days, and I think you already figured out why. So it's cool, clear water from a Brita filter with a pink straw because it is raining in New York, and I'm hoping the pink straw will bring the sunny skies. That's all I can say. You're listening to Digital Industries Changing the Game Radio presented by SAP. Our topic today, Government Goes Digital, Helping Citizens 
toxins improve health habits. We're talking to you. You live somewhere. You have a government somewhere. Maybe you need to have your health improved. What's the role of government? Can they send you an email? Can they post something on a website? Can they help you get wearables or introduce you to IoT sensors that will help you? We're going to find out the role of government and what is it about going digital that's going to help us bring up those bad mortality data rates that the Washington Post analyzed from the CDC data. They are frightening indeed. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very pleased to be speaking with Dave Matusoff and with John Roach and Regina Kunkel. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital Industries, Changing the Game. In fact, digital industries are changing the game, and we're here to tell you many ways that is true. Let's start off our roundtable in earnest, as my mom likes to say, with Dave Matisoff and Dave. Let's. I'm looking at your notes, and here's some interesting things I think would be a great way to start. You say, using data transforms government decision-making. It impacts government in two important and distinct ways. One is it helps transform what you are traditional, what your traditional reporting systems into insight systems. I think that's one very important fact. The other is that it helps governments make data informed policy. So from your perspective in the state of Indiana at the Management and Performance Hub, MPH, why don't you give us a couple of examples of how this is working, Dave, and then we will invite John and Regina to join in. Go ahead, Dave. Sure. Uh, well, and uh, first, Bonnie, I wanted to mention I, I didn't realize that you were a ginger. Uh, so there's two of us on this call. I think we're, uh, you know, eventually going to take over the world. So that's probably important <laughs> to start with. Uh, Thank you. The, the thing that's interesting uh, about the data movement in government uh, and what I believe is so powerful about it and why I get so excited to, to go to work every day is uh, that notion that you can take traditional reporting systems uh, and turn them into uh, insight systems, like I had mentioned in my notes. And what that really means for me, and I'll give you a couple of uh, examples related to health. Uh, one is we have been re- recording, uh, reporting crashes throughout the state of Indiana. We've got that data longitudinally going back uh, for over 10 years. Uh, but, but it's kind of meaningless. It, it just says, you know, there's 
all these crashes uh, and that happened at this date in this time. Uh, but if we look at that data with uh, weather data uh, and, and some other data sets, we're building a predictive crash tool uh, for our State Department of Police uh, that we're going to make available to the police. Uh, it's a web-based tool that they can use in their cars uh, and that the public can use uh, that will predict uh, based on putting those data sets together where uh, a crash will likely occur, and police can uh, move resources based on that information. So our hope is that will have a real impact uh, on cutting down fatal crashes in the state of Indiana. So that's incredibly powerful uh, and something that was never we were never capable of before uh, until we could take advantage of, of data like we can today, the tools, the technologies, uh, the insights that we have. And then another example... Uh, in the state of Indiana, like most states, we have a huge opioid uh, and drug addiction uh, problem in the state. And through putting different data sets together, uh, and something that John mentioned uh, at the outset, in visualizing those in a way that's uh, digestible and understandable to policymakers, uh, you know, both in the legislature, uh, in the governor's office, there's a, a drug task force that the governor put together, uh, and in different agencies, you can begin to uh, look at the problem in new ways. And the important thing about about doing that is, uh, you know, the data is actionable. Uh, so we can take actions as a government uh, to improve outcomes. And, and we're doing that through how we're investing in naloxone, a life-saving drug, and how we're deploying that in the state of Indiana as mm-hmm. a result of the data and where we're locating new opioid-specific treatment facilities. So it's really powerful, and it's really changing the way that, that we're doing government uh, in, in a really important way. I, I say all the time, and I really believe this, I, I think I've got the coolest job uh, in, mm-hmm. in state government in the country because every day when I go to work, uh, I get to look at ways that we can transform government and do something that we were never capable of doing before. Uh, so it's it's a really exciting time to be uh, in data science and, and government right now. Dave, it really is, and I appreciate the examples, great ones. Before I invite John and Regina to chime in, I have a question for you. Who decides, let's use your state of Indiana perspective, your perch, if you will, who decides that it's the time to invest in digital systems, in insight systems, if you will? Who decided that it was okay to do this update on how do you use and analyze crash data? Who decided about the drug dashboard? Was this some newcomer in government? Was this somebody who'd been sitting around for a long time at a desk job and said, you know, I've been reading about this stuff. Maybe Indiana should be a pioneer. Time to go digital and help the citizens. Where, do, where does it come from? Who makes that decision to go there, Dave? So, I, you know, I, I think uh, what you're talking about is innovation, and innovation mm-hmm. comes, uh, there are two things that influence innovation in my mind. Uh, the first is leadership, and the second is investment. And, you know, fortunately for, for me and my role, uh, we've had both those in spades. So, uh, you know, the governor, uh, Governor Mike Pence, decided this was important and made a significant investment in, in our analytical capabilities in the state of Indiana. Uh, so, you know, th- that's where it starts, and I think that's for any enterprise, that's where it has to happen uh, at, at the highest level. And then the second thing that we've been doing uh, is trying to add value to the agencies that we're working with. So, our projects uh, are typically demand-driven, uh, so there's a need within an agency, and they come to us and say, how can you help us 
think through this problem in a new or different way. Uh, so, so you know, the, the first thing is leadership, and then the second thing is is demand uh, within agencies for for this type of work. So, it's been a really effective model in Indiana. It's, it's the only one in the country. Uh, to the degree that we have it in Indiana. Uh, so I'm, I'm really fortunate uh, to be working uh, in, in this area. Thank you very much. Love the enthusiasm. John Roach at KSM Consulting. Love to have you chime in on anything or everything you heard Dave share about the innovation, the leadership, the government digitization, all of these new creative ways to help people. What do you think, John? Sure. I mean, I, I think all that's true. The one, the one thing sort of... Um, between the lines and what Dave said that I think uh, sort of warrants um, further investigation is uh, the fact that, you know, Dave, Dave mentioned agencies and adding value to agencies. Um, you know, we have found that there is really a wealth of knowledge about, uh, sort of heuristic knowledge about the information and systems within the agencies. But I, I think the role that, you know, Dave and his team have played that has been really transformative for the state is adding capability in terms of both technology and uh, really a sophistication and evaluation methodology that has allowed them to sort of apply that heuristic knowledge, but with a more sophisticated tool set to extract the insight Dave's talking about. Um, so I, I think, you know, in addition to, you know, investment and, um, you know, some of the other things that Dave mentioned um, that spur innovation, I think, you know, his team really enabled um, folks on the ground to apply the knowledge they have in a sort of more meaningful way than they had been able to prior. Thank you very much. Good insights, good perspective. Regina Kunkel at SAP, what do you think? So a couple things. If you, um, One of the things I did want to add on to what Dave said about Governor Pence, the thing to me that impressed me the most is that he had the, the, the uh, thought leadership to um, actually pass legislation um, so that one of the things is the state was faced with some compelling, pressing social issues that they wanted to fix, but because um, a lot of the data is in various departments and agencies and, and if you will, in different silos with a lot of uh, reasons why that data can't be uh, cross-pollinated, he enacted legislation so that um, mandating that people would basically open open the doors and let the data um, be shared. And I think that was really pivotal because once you could start uh, crossing data sets, that's when you get the power, right? The more, the more information you start to look at, at Medicaid data versus you, um, doctor's appointments versus this versus that, and, and that's where the power comes. So I, I did want to point that out. And I think the other thing that, that John's taught me is that um, approaching data this way, it's really almost an upside down um, process in that in the old days, uh, you'd come out with a hypothesis and then you would try to prove it, you know, and try to prove it over and over again with data. And this is exactly the opposite. You get the data and you let the data with different information and, 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 and um, let the data speak to you and find the relationships versus you trying to decide them up front. And that's the thing I, I think I've learned the most in the last couple of years is that we come to the, to the story and to the problem with our own solutions and we think the data is going to tell us all these things, but then we find out that's not the answers at all and the data tells us new and interesting things, which then allows us to um, action, action it, as uh, Dave said, and then to be able to apply the resources where it's most needed versus trying to apply resources across the board in, in, in an inefficient manner. 
Thank you very much, Regina. Very thoughtful comments, Dave, on what you shared with us. Dave, you want to circle back to and or John and or Regina on what they've shared before we move on? Sure. Yeah, I think Regina, uh, well, they both made great points. Uh, and, and to Regina's point, so in the enabling, it, it wasn't legislation, but it was an executive order, uh, you know, right. almost legislation in Indiana that made that work. And uh, you know, I think she talked about uh, the silos uh, that exist in government, and certainly data is in silos. And there's this been this notion historically that uh, you know from agencies that the data is their data. There's these sort of ownership issues, and you know, having that level of leadership to break down some of those silos has been critical. And uh, you know, it's the only way. Uh, you know, to create a successful data sharing initiative. The other thing that I think has uh, been key to our success at MPH is we had some success right out of the gate with a big data sharing initiative, and uh, it took a while to build some credibility uh, within the agency. And, uh, you know, it, it's a lot easier for us to get uh, to get data from agencies today than, than it was in the past. So, you know, it's really changing culture in government or in any enterprise to have a successful strategic data management uh, initiative. Uh, and, that, you know, that takes time and it takes investment and it, and it takes effort. Uh, but fortunately in Indiana, it's going uh, really well right now. Thank you very much. And by the way, I just tweeted at hashtag SAP Radio that you were doing a shout out to at G-O-V-P-E-N-C-E-I-N, Governor Pence, Indiana. I found his handle. So just so you know, there's a, there's a shout out out there from you, Dave, mm-hmm. from us at Game Changers Radio to Governor Mike Pence. And I hope he, hope his office gets that and sees that we're talking about him. Nice to know when you're being talked about in such a, a wonderful way. Thank you very much. And now I want to sure. turn to some. If you're going to ta- do a shout yep. out to Governor Pence, uh, yeah. since we talked about great yep. uh, craft beer earlier. If you could do a shout out <laughs> to Rheingeist Brewery and Mad Tree Brewery in Cincinnati. <laughs> That would also be fantastic. I'm going to let you do that after the show and just include hashtag SAP radio, and I will retweet it. I promise you that, okay? I limit myself to 100 tweets per live show. I'm only teasing. I'd be happy to do it after this next statement. So, John Roach, KSM Consulting, looking at your notes from before the show. And here's an interesting topic, uh, something I don't think we've talked about. You say states contend with chronically high turnover in many areas, in many agency areas, including corrections and child and family services. And you add, in addition to hiring and training costs, these high turnover rates result in the limited retention of knowledge necessary to improve outcomes. Aha, now we've got the, now we're into the topic of what can governments do to improve safety and health outcomes. You say advanced analytical techniques can identify both future employees as well as current employees likely to leave so that the government can take proactive measures. Let's talk about that from the people side, separate from the policy side, separate from the innovation side, getting the people and keeping that knowledge and capturing that knowledge. John, talk to us. What, what do you uh, have in mind for this topic? Sure. So let me, let me hit on one of the first things you said. Um, so limited retention of knowledge necessary to improve outcomes. Um, you know, I, I want to hit on that because it, it kind of bridges mm-hmm. off of, um, you know, a topic Dave mentioned to begin with and a topic Regina hit on in that, um, you know, a, a lot of times if you look at program effectiveness from a high level, just at an aggregate, it may look like a program's really ineffective or really effective. What we found that 
is that when you, when you dig down and look at specific subpopulations, some programs that you know, aren't effective on aggregate can be hugely effective for a subpopulation. So I think one of the, one of the things that um, you know, has really been unlocked in data is understanding really efficacy of treatment at a very granular level. I know it sounds like I didn't answer the question, but here's what I'm, here's what I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, That's fine. When you, when you have employees that have been around a long, long, long time, they inherently sort of know those things already. So they mm-hmm. know that even though a program isn't effective on the whole, if you apply it to this set of people, it can be really effective. So one of the things that states can do with, um, you know, situ- in situations where you just have chronically high turnover and, and uh, you know, maybe the time characteristics with fixing it aren't fast enough to address it for the people who are in programs now, is arm those people with better information to make decisions. So you can have the quality of decisions for an employee that's been there maybe a year or two be on par with those that have been there for 30 years because you're able to tell them, you know, consider this subset of programs that has been historically effective for, you know, the type of person you're considering at present. Um, so I think that's, that's uh, you know, the first topic. And I'll, I'll, I'll let, uh, you know, Regina and Dave respond to that. Uh, and then we can sort of jump to the second part of that's that fine. Uh, comment. Good idea. Regina, thoughts on what John just shared? We'll, we'll call this part one of John Roach's uh, talking topic. Go ahead, Regina. Thoughts? Well, actually, you know, John, if you don't mind, I was, I was going to make an, another point that, that is tangential to what you were speaking about. And that's really what we're seeing in government is around the silver tsunami where we have, you know, one in four of mm-hmm. our government employees are able to retire as of, as of right now. And so you're going to have this, not only do you have this turnover that you speak about, but you just have this massive amount of knowledge that's able to walk down, out the door at any point in time. And I think the other thing that's kind of amazing is that by 2025, 75% of the workforce will be millennials, right? So you've got this mm-hmm. whole millennial workforce coming up and you've got the silver tsunami at the other end and we're not seeing the millennials going into government just yet. So what do we do to, to bring them in and, and get them so that, that that transfer of knowledge happens? So that's kind of where I was going when you were talking about the turnover. I was thinking about it at the, at the other end, um, which is also kind of the same issue, only slightly different. The same, but only slightly different. I like that. It is the same. We are the same. We're going to agree on that. Dave Matisoff at Indiana. Agree, disagree. What do you think about John's topic and what Regina added to expand it? Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, without sounding cheesy, uh, people are our biggest asset. And uh, I completely agree with what both John and, and Regina had to say. The thing that's been really interesting to me in my time in Indiana, it's been short. It's only been six months. Uh, is that we have some incredibly brilliant staff people and agencies who understand and are passionate about the issues uh, that they're working on. So whether it's our Department of Children's Services or state police or workforce development, uh, and he's right. And the thing that is key, and, and I thought John articulated it really well, is as a data organization in state government, we have to make sure that we're aligning with experts within those agencies that have, uh, uh, you know, a really deep understanding of the populations that, that they're serving. Because at a high level, we will miss, uh, you know, w- without some context to the data, you won't get insight out of it. And I think that's sort of what John was getting at, and it's really important. And 
uh, to Regina's point, uh, you know, we are going to have this exodus uh, of folks in that age group. And, you know, it's incumbent upon us uh, as a government to make sure that we're addressing all of those things uh, continuously as we sort of go down uh, this data path. So I think it creates challenges, but uh, there are certainly some opportunities there as, as well. Thank you very much. John Roach, I'm going to go back to you. You want to comment on what they said or you want to move to part two? You know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I agree with what Dave said and I don't really have much to add to it. So let's, let's jump to the second part. So sure. I, I think first I'll, I'll sort of clarify the statement a little bit. And this actually, uh, interesting left sort of, sort of bridges back to my, uh, the, the quote I provided from Aaron, um, in that what I'm talking about isn't, um, you know, saying, you know, we've found that, you know, people that are five feet, six inches tall and 27 years old with blonde hair do well in this role because, um, you know, that's not the case at all. What we, what we find is that often where um, jobs are really tough and, you know, we, in, in the work we've done in the health and human services sector and corrections areas, I, I will say those are the toughest jobs I could possibly imagine. Um, what we find, though, is... Um, complex combinations of backgrounds and personality types, et cetera, tend to do better in those roles than Mm -hmm. other combinations. So the state can use information like that to inform the discretion of hiring decision makers. Um, So this this isn't uh, isn't a new idea. It's actually uh, been in place in... um, in call centers, they're, they're you know very big companies that use the same type of uh, same type of um, complex decision support um, for those kinds of roles because they are really really tough. And on aggregate, you find that certain combinations of personalities and backgrounds do better than others. Thank you very much. Quickly, Regina, and then Dave. Thoughts on part two of what John Roach just shared, Regina? Gosh, you know. Um you know that that's interesting. I I I, I kind of come again. I come at it from a little bit of a a different um, mm-hmm. point of view. In that, you know, what I've been trying to do, and and when I when when I go back to my my um, statement from Maya Angelou, and you know, I'm trying to change the world one person at a time. Um, is is I'm trying to use my position and my kind of influence to draw more people into the field and to have them not self-select out when they're in college or even when they um, come back from military service and, and get more folks into our industry so that they can be doing this work because I think it's, it is a problem with supply and demand. So I, I see where you're going with is, is once you've got the, the, the individuals and, and you've got the information, how do you keep it and, 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 and pass it on, but I'm coming from a point of view of bringing people into the industry. That's kind of where my my focus and, and heart has been uh, more recently, so that's kind of where I'm at. I don't have as, the same experiences as, as, as you both do in the, in the keeping the information and passing it, passing it along. Thank you very much. Let me circle back to Dave at Indiana. Dave Matisoff, what do you think? Uh, no, I don't have anything uh, additional to, to add. 
for once in my life. So I, I agree with John. <laughs> well, we've only known you for, uh, let's see, for 44 minutes. So we'll just limit it to that. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to move on to a different topic in Regina Kunkel's notes. And Regina, this goes back to my opening about the, the, uh, the data on mortality rates for Caucasian women in the U.S. around small cities and rural areas. And I want to dive into that before we finish because we've got about eight minutes before we go to our crystal ball predictions round. So, Regina, you told me in your notes, you said, and I quote, we, I believe you mean government, should be expanding access to Internet and digital technologies for urban and rural poor alike so they can communicate and engage with support from anywhere and at any time. And then you add, simply giving Wi-Fi or Internet access to those who currently do not have it could be a big step forward. It's amazing a whole set of our our society who doesn't have access or understand how to use it. Regina, this is a big problem. Who is at the forefront of bringing this access, of helping them figure out what to do it once you give them the access? What do you see? Exactly. I think it's I think it's both dimensions. First, you have to get the technology and get the access out there. But I think, secondly, there is this whole subset that doesn't know how to use it and isn't comfortable. And I know it's it's sort of shocking because we're in technology, so we can't imagine. But I, I recently, um, over the last five years, I, I worked on a, a project where I worked with New York City, and we built a program for educating women of domestic violence around technology skills. And we wanted them to be able to step out of violence by improving their situation. So if they could go from a blue-collar job to a white-collar job. And we did simple things like teaching them how to do PowerPoint and Word and Excel and teaching them how to write an email. And these women would come in to the program, and they most of them um, you know, didn't have a formal education. And they, didn't, they had children who knew how to use iPhones and things like that, but they mm-hmm. themselves did not. They had no knowledge of, of technology or how to leverage it. So how do people improve their lives? How do they find jobs? How do they do things? if they really aren't, um, don't have access to the technology and or don't know how to use it. So I think that, that if you're looking at rural health, um, it's knowledge, right? I, I, you know, again, I'm going to be jumping to conclusions here, which I, which I really would rather the data speaks to it, to it but, but are these women able to, do they get health care? Do they go see a doctor regularly? They might not see a doctor for 10 years and, and, you know, something is obviously happening to them and by the time they, 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 they have the symptoms, they're, they're, it's fatal. So I think those are the things, you know, the Internet does provide a lot of information, but if you're not using it and you're not knowledgeable to use it, how can you leverage it? So I do think that's kind of where it all circles back and goes back to the Maya Angelou quote, which is when you, when you, know, when you know more, you do better, right? And if you know that you should be seeing a doctor every year, um, to have certain checkups to check for things like ovarian cancer and things like that that you can't check for mm-hmm. yourself, um, suddenly your your fatality rates you know start to decline. So that's kind of where I was going with that. And I think I think because we're in this nucleus where we're all in technology, we don't realize there's all these folks who who have no idea and don't know how to use it. And, and that's, that's surprising. That. 
Absolutely right. It's surprising, it's shocking, and, and uh, the Yiddish word is it's a shanda, it's a shame, because something should be done about it. But Regina, let me ask you a question before I quickly get some comments from Dave Metisoff and John Roach. Question is, when you were working on this project in New York City, did you see, what was the reaction you saw of the women who were given access, who were given training, who were told, this is an iPhone or a cell phone, this is the internet, this is where you can get information. Were they excited? Were they eager? Were they initially happy and then I don't want to do this what was the attitude change or wasn't there one oh it was it was you know it was probably the highlight of my career you know I even get goosebumps mm. thinking about it now because I would go to their graduation ceremonies and what would happen is they would start as as it was usually a group of 15 women and they would start as as 15 individuals and they'd come into a room and and their body language you know would be very hunched over very insecure no confidence they weren't sure what they were doing here, um, but then we would have once a week we would teach them modules, and each module would build, and by the end of eight weeks they would be, you know, quote, trained. But what really happened was, first of all, it built their confidence. It, it built a peer group, right? We all have peer groups that raise us up when we have things happen, and, and these women didn't have a peer group, so they could learn with each other. And from the beginning to the end, by the time you get to graduation, um, these women are now, you know, they're, they're standing straight, their shoulders are back. They're really proud of themselves because they did something to improve themselves. And they often bring their children to the graduation ceremonies, and the children are in the front row beaming, mm. smiles, you know, across their whole faces because they're proud, you know, and, and, and their mothers, you know, now believe in themselves that they can go do something, that, you know, that, that it's not just being done to them. So unbelievably powerful, and that's why I really do believe, you know, information technology, you know, can cure a lot of sins. You know, it can really bring people up. It, it gives you employment. It, it, it teaches you and gives you access to, to a big world out there. And so it's very important uh, to me, and it really can change people's lives. Thank you, and I'm glad you shared your gratification and your enthusiasm for this, Regina. Very important for our listeners to hear that this matters. It does. It takes people to do these efforts. It takes people to put this in place. I'm going to go quickly over to Dave Matisoff. Any comments that Regina shared? Because we're one and a half minutes away from our crystal ball predictions round, and I want to make sure you each get about a minute and a half for predictions. So, Dave, any thoughts on what Regina just stated, please? Uh, yeah, that was a great comment. I I, I think uh, that's changing, and I'd worked on this issue uh, in my past life or in my past professional life. I don't have a past life in the other way, but you know, it was sort of a supply and demand issue, uh, and I think we're at the tipping point now. The supply issue is the technology available, is the broadband available, and the demand issue was are people clamoring for these services? And and I think we're at a tipping point now where people are actually in those populations that Regina identified, they're clamoring for those. So the demand is there and it's increased, uh, but you know, it, it's helping folks get access to that and the training that Regina mentioned, uh, which is key. And with respect to health in particular, the ability to do telemedicine in rural areas can you know provide expertise in rural areas that doesn't exist today. So I think it can have a big impact on health uh, particularly in, in rural areas. Thank you very much. Quickly, John Roach at KSM Consulting. Thoughts on what Regina shared? I'll give you about 30 seconds. Talk fast, please. Sure, yeah. So, so I think um, when, you, when you think about the Internet in general, technology, I think it, it allows you to do three main things. Create in a more meaningful way. Share and get information. Um, the latter of those, I think, will be the most transformative. And, you know, when I think about... Um, you know, everything from trying to write a block of code 
to trying to fix a car or understand what the best thing to do for your health is, um, unless we're able to break down those barriers to information, um, you know, there's always going to be a subset of the population that's worse off than they should be. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what? I officially, Regina, since you started this topic, I'm going to do something very different. I'm going to give you first crack at the predictions round, Regina, because <laughs> you're next online around the table. So, Regina, I can give you, oh, 60 seconds. What do you predict will change on this topic? I love the year 2020. How far in the future can you see in that crystal ball of yours? Because I know you are a futurist. I can tell the way you've, your, your career has gone and what you care about, what you're passionate about. So what do you see that's going to change? Let's talk about when will there be good news about government going digital, helping citizens improve health habits, safety, security, the whole ball of wax, if you pardon that expression. Regina, prediction, 60 seconds, go. So, yeah, I think where, where things are going is I love the concept of Fitbit and Apple Watch and, and those kind of things, and, you know, they, they, they have heart rate and pulse and all this great stuff, and I think that's, that, to me, is the future, that that individuals start to have sensors on them and we collect the data from the sensors and the sensors get more and more sophisticated right now. Now cities and governments put sensors on, on, on lights in the streets, but what about putting them on people and, and, and getting to the point where the, 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 the sensors are phoning home and, and letting, letting institutions mm-hmm. and organizations know when there's, when there's an issue and a problem so that we can then proactively reach out and say, your sensor is telling us this, you need to go to a doctor or you need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can really start to look futuristically at healthcare. So I'm looking at it as we're going to all be walking around with sensors and maybe, maybe at birth we'll start to insert chips, who knows. But, um, but I just feel like that's the, that's the future way out there and that, uh, that we don't have to wait for rural, rural women to go see doctors. We're reaching out to them and, and sending them notices of this is what you need. You've got an issue. You need to go do this. Um, you need to stop smoking. You need to do this or whatever it is that the message is that comes across. So that's my future prediction. Thank you very much. Love that. Dave Matisoff, let's circle back to you. I can give you oh, just shy of 60 seconds predictions. Dave, go. So I, my biggest prediction is that we're going to be in a major quandary around uh, privacy and security. The proliferation of the data is going to continue to just explode. And the technology is already in a place today, like with what Regina mentioned, where there's you know all this data available. So as a society, as human beings, we're going to have to decide how much data am I willing to to let my health insurance provider have or my car insurance provider have or my government have. And I think, so there's going to be all this opportunity to change the way that we live in a really, really positive and powerful way. Uh, but we're going to really have to think through the privacy and security issues uh, as we go down this digital path because mm-hmm. we are constantly giving more and more away. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out over time and to see where we end up from a policy perspective uh, at federal and state level going going forward. Thank you very much indeed it will and let's turn to John Roach at KSM 60 seconds predict for me go ahead John. So 2020 is actually pretty darn soon 4 years away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think um, you know while I agree with Dave on you know that struggle being one we're going to have to have um, I think it's farther away than that. And when I look at sort of where we'll be in the next 4 years I think what you're going to see is um, a lot of states uh, sort of taking the path that Indiana's already forged um, in terms of how they're using data, and Indiana uh, really sort of building on 
the powerful platform they've built to make programs and services even more effective for citizens. Thank you very much. Great conversation. Good panel. Thank you, Dave Matisoff, MPH at State of Indiana. Thank you very much to John Roach at KSM Consulting and Regina Kunkel at SAP. We had so many tweeters, I can barely keep count here. Shout out to SAP Public Sector, to SAP underscore healthcare. These are the handles. Shout out to MCG Squared, whoever you are. Thank you. Tina Stein, S-T-I-N-E. Thank you. M. Hovitt. Thank you. Jay Berry, SAP. Thank you. Of course, KSM Consulting, working with John Roach. And Dante Ritchie won. Dante help put this together. A big shout out and round of applause for Dante for assembling a wonderful panel. Great topic. Dante, it was worth all of those. I don't know about you, but it was a lot of late nights for me. It was worth putting it together because we had three excellent panelists today. So I just want to say to all my panelists, thank you and everybody hope you enjoyed it and the podcast will be up very, very soon. Go to the business channel at voiceamerica.com. We'll talk radio and look for industry cloud trends aka digital industries i'm bonnie d graham and here is my call to action talking about safety and health fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for for goodness sake go out and be a game changer today have a good one i'll be back live tomorrow wednesday 11 a.m with another live edition of coffee break with game changers have a great one bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.